Hello and good afternoon. It's nice to be with you today. I hope that you're able to join in on Bill Allen's Facebook study. We do this on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons live at three o'clock on my page. And then it's of course stays there. And you, uh, we also share it on our West Irwin Facebook pages at West Irwin Live and West Irwin Church of Christ and uh, later it gets put on our website on our video archive page under social media and other resources. So I hope that you're able to uh, uh, take part in these. I've talked to several people over the last six months now who have said, you know, I really enjoy the lessons. I never say anything. I don't tell you hi. I don't tell you I'm there. And, and that's okay. I love it when people do. As you know, I don't respond live, but everyone who... Uh, who writes something, I will either like it or love it or uh, laugh at it or reply to it, something like that. But I appreciate so much you being a part of these studies. We are in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah wrote in the 8th century BC, prophesied to the people of primarily the southern kingdom of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. Uh, and its king, uh, several kings, including kings Ahaz and Hezekiah. And Isaiah was a powerful prophet in the 8th century BC. He also spoke to the northern kingdom of Israel and to neighboring countries. Many of the prophets in the Old Testament uh, have statements about their neighbors, whether it's Assyria or Syria, also known as Aram, uh, Moab, um, Midian, whoever they might be. Uh, the prophets talk to them, and Isaiah is no different, and we see that in some of these chapters starting at about Isaiah 13, and he has several pronouncements uh, about the, the people of his day in other nations, and of course he has a lot to say to the northern kingdom of Israel, and primarily he speaks to the southern kingdom of Judah. In just a, uh, uh, the next few days, we're going to be seeing the ultimate decline of the northern kingdom of Israel and its capital city, Samaria, defeated at the hands of the Assyrians. But before we get there, there are these three chapters, Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, that deal with that time that's leading up to that. And it's a, it's a very exciting time. It's a time of Israel's uh, decline in power and ultimately uh, being uh, overthrown by the Assyrians, taken over by them as they are the world empire. They will threaten the southern kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, lay siege to it, but because of God's great power, he will deliver them uh, because of the preaching of Isaiah and uh, also Micah that we looked at last week and the faithfulness of King Hezekiah. And we're going to be looking at that over the next couple of weeks. But today is a, uh, is a great passage because it's the first time in Scripture that we uh, hear that word and name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Ultimately, as you know, it was given uh, to Jesus. And uh, I think that uh, after Isaiah uh, talks about this in Isaiah chapter 7, Probably there were a lot of people that didn't realize, hey, there's going to be a little boy born someday of a virgin who will be called Emmanuel, uh, meaning God with us. I doubt that anybody knew that. But what they did know is that there was a little boy that would be born in the 700s BC 
who would bring about a reminder, a very real reminder of God's presence, his presence for his people to deliver them and his presence uh, for his enemies, uh, those who were disobedient, uh, to punish them. But let's talk about this time in Israel and Judah's history. Uh, and we start in Isaiah uh, chapter 7. And there's a lot going on, and we'll try to keep everybody up to speed. In Isaiah 7, beginning in verse 1, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah. So you have Ahaz, uh, the king of Judah. Uh, reigning in Jerusalem, King Rezin of Aram, or Syria, a neighboring country, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel. He was the, That was the northern kingdom of Israel and their capital, Samaria. And so you have these three kingdoms, Judah, Israel, and Syria, or Aram, and these three kings, Ahaz of Judah, Rezin of Aram, or Syria, and Pekah, also known as the son of Remaliah, uh, reigning in Samaria as king of Israel. Uh, well, um, uh, Rezin and Pekah of Syria and uh, Israel, respectively, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Verse 2, now the house of David, now that would be the descendants of David, who are on the throne in the southern kingdom of Judah, reigning in Jerusalem, in this case, King Ahaz. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. Ephraim, when you see that, is another name for the northern kingdom of Israel. It's also referred to Ephraim, uh, which as you probably uh, remember, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh were two of Joseph's sons, uh, grandsons of Jacob. Now the house of David was told, Aram has, allowed, has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz, the king of, Jeru of Judah, and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So here's what you have. You have these two kings, the king of Syria and the king of Israel, who uh, they, allied them, they ally themselves together. They are in an alliance, and they threaten the king of Jerusalem, in, uh, the king of Judah in Jerusalem, King Ahaz, and it scares everybody to death. Verse 3, Now then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabeel king over it. So again, what's going on, Bill? Well, you're in the 8th century BC, or BCE if you prefer, the 700s, the time of Isaiah the prophet, the king in Judah in Jerusalem, the descendant of David is King Ahaz. Uh, there is a king in the northern kingdom of Israel and a king in uh, the, the country, the nation of Syria or Aram. Well, those two kings, uh, the son of Ramaliah, Pekah, and Rezin, they go after the southern kingdom of Judah and they threaten it. They have allied themselves together and they want to 
uh, take uh, take over. Primarily, what they want is for Judah to go join their alliance, probably against the Assyrians, who are the world power and are threatening everybody. And so they have joined themselves together. Um, Judah has not joined with them. And so they're saying, okay, we're going to go in there and we're going to fight you first. And we're going to have a coup. We're going to take um, uh, Ahaz off the throne in Jerusalem. And we're going to put this guy, this son of Tabeel, and have him be king over Judah because he'll do what we want. He'll join our alliance. That's what's going on. And so God says to them through Isaiah the prophet, don't you love this in verse 4? Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. <laughs> That's what he calls the king of, of Israel uh, and also the king of Aram or Syria. And so verse 5, Aram or Syria, Ephraim or Israel, and Remaliah's son. Ephraim and Remaliah's son are referring to the same a nation, the nation of Israel. Remaliah's son is the one who happens to be king. And uh, Isaiah doesn't even give him the credit of giving his name. He just calls him uh, Remaliah, the son of Remaliah. It's kind of hilarious. Okay, so God says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. These two smoldering stubs of firewood, they are burning out and it's not going to happen. Uh, verse 7, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram, or Syria, is Damascus, its capital city. And the head of Damascus is only Rezin, its king. Within 65 years, Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. Samaria, the capital of Israel, also called Ephraim. And the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. He's the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, reigns in Samaria, Pekah, the son of Remaliah. If you do not stand firm in your faith, the end of verse 9 says, you will not stand at all. What is Isaiah telling uh, King Ahaz of Judah in Jerusalem? He's saying, look, you've got to believe. You've got to have faith, man. You've got to trust in the Lord. He's got this. He doesn't care about these two smoldering sticks of firewood that are burning out. Uh, he's going to deal with them, and he's going to deal with them pretty soon, in just a matter of years. Uh, verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the high, deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Now that sounds good because it says don't put the Lord to the test. However, when God tells you to, then you probably should. And so King Ahaz is unwilling to do that and, um, and now gets in trouble for it, but God still gives him the sign. Verse 13, then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin or young woman will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7 verse 14. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. 
Well, this is the first time we see that name, Emmanuel, God with us. And later on, as you know, Matthew will look back on this passage and he will recall Isaiah saying all of these things in Matthew 1. And when the angel uh, talks uh, to uh, Mary and to Joseph, he is given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why? Because he will be born of a virgin. He will be born of a woman who's never had sexual relations and he will be born in an extraordinary, miraculous way. And so people will call him the Son of God. And so as he lives on this earth, it will be a special presence of the Lord, God with us, Emmanuel. Well, okay, Bill, so what does it mean in Isaiah 7? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. In Isaiah 7, in Matthew 1, the, the Greek is pretty particular that it's talking about a virgin, a woman who's never had uh, sexual relations. But in Isaiah 7, uh, in the Old Testament Hebrew, it's not quite so specific. It can mean a young woman, a young maiden. And that seems to be the meaning because it seems like from what Isaiah says in Isaiah 7, this is a real live boy. He's going to be running around and before he gets very old, before he's old enough to really be weaned or he's old enough to know what he should eat on his own, uh, God is going to deliver his people. These two smoldering stubs of firewood, the nations of Syria and Israel, are threatening the, the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, Isaiah says it, they're not going to win. God's going to take care of this. He's going to handle it. And in fact, he is very specific. He says God is going to deliver them over to the king of Assyria, which is not all that surprising right now because they're the world empire, and they're already challenging and moving towards uh, uh, that area of uh, the globe, the Middle East. He's moving towards uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and uh, the, the uh, kingdom of Syria or Aram and the southern kingdom of Judah. He'll try to get them too. God promises that he's going to deliver Syria and Israel over into the hands of the Assyrians because of their sinfulness, but not the kingdom of Judah. Judah will actually be delivered through the Assyrians, from the northern kingdom of Israel and the nation of Syria, uh, or Aram. And this little boy running around by the name of Emmanuel uh, is witness to that. He's the one, when you see him, Isaiah says, you'll know that God is with us. He is with us to deliver his faithful people, those who trust in him. But he is also will, with us to punish those who are disobedient. And we'll see more of that the next time that name is mentioned. At this time, uh, the people of God are um, in Isaiah's presence, and Isaiah's children even have uh, very symbolic names uh, as well. Shir Jashub means a remnant shall return. Uh, in chapter 8, we're going to read about another son, Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. I always say if Joyce and I had had a boy, we were going to name him Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. <laughs> I don't think she would have gone along with that. But that means that the plunder or the spoil is coming quickly. Well, let's read those verses in Isaiah chapter 8. Uh, he talks about his sons in the first few verses. And then in verse 4, he says why this son, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, is such a symbol for uh, the king, King Ahaz, and the people of Judah. Isaiah 8, verse 4, For before the boy knows how to say, My father or my mother, 
the wealth of Damascus, the capital of Syria, and the plunder of Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, will be carried off by the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, verse 5, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin, the king of Syria, and the son of Remaliah, <laughs> the king of Israel. Therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty flood waters of the Euphrates, the king of Israel, with all his the king of Assyria, with all his pomp. God promises to deliver his people. But in the process, he says, this pagan king and people of Assyria are going to take over not just Damascus and Syria or Aram, but also Samaria and the people of the northern kingdom of Israel. That's going to be our topic this coming Thursday in our study. But we're not quite there just yet. Um, in chapter 8, we skip down a little bit and read beginning uh, in verse 11. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Isaiah 8, verse 11, now verse 12. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. Many will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, Isaiah says, who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. And then Isaiah says in verse 18 of Isaiah 8, Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. Does some of that reading from Isaiah 8 sound familiar? Well, I hope so. We read it quoted in the, in the New Testament, including this First uh, uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. When Peter writes to people who are being persecuted and who are going to be persecuted even more. And he gives them this com these comforting words from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. Don't call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Don't fear what they fear and don't dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 3, look, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And he says, don't be afraid um, because these people, yes, they can harm you and, and will, but they cannot take away your faith. If you, faith. if you have your faith and hold on to it, hold on to that trust in the Lord, just like Isaiah of old did, just like uh, King Ahaz and then later his son, King Hezekiah would, God will deliver. And he does. In the days of Isaiah, he delivers through the king of Assyria and their enemies, the ones who were trying to have a coup in Judah and Jerusalem and put, put a, someone sympathetic to their cause and their agenda uh, in uh, power. It was thwarted by the hand of God. And God reminded them through these signs, including the preaching and family even of Isaiah. 
Well, we turn to now to finally to Isaiah chapter 9, and we read uh, one more passage that reminds us of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, verse 1, after telling uh, the people that those who are disobedient uh, will fear and be in great distress, this is what he says to those who are faithful. Isaiah 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. These are those northern tribes, the tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. Verse 2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Later on in the days of Jesus, um, Matthew would remember these words and he would apply them uh, to Jesus of Nazareth when he goes into Nazareth and has his home base in uh, Capernaum. Those are two cities in the northern province of Galilee, the site where these northern tribes such as Zebulun and Naphtali uh, were, uh, had their land and their inheritance since the days of Joshua and the taking of the promised land. And then distributing it out amongst the tribes, these northern tribes, uh, Isaiah says, prophesies the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And Matthew recalls those words uh, in Matthew chapter four and applies them to those Areas where Jesus went as the light of the world, bringing the light and love of God and the abundant life that God only can give. Uh, he had his home base in that area, in the area of the northern kingdom of Galilee. We keep reading in verse 3 of Isaiah 9. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, another uh, of Israel's enemies in the past, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And then these familiar words in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Those last couple of verses we always hear about and read about, and rightly so, around Christmas time when we're especially thinking of the coming of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus of Nazareth in Bethlehem uh, to Mary. Uh, of course, and to his stepfather, his earthly father, uh, Joseph. But these words come from the 8th century BC also, the 700s, and they talk perhaps specifically about a, a king that will come and will come into power in the southern kingdom of Judah and will help bring back peace 
restore order and restore the uh, worship and uh, faithfulness and obedience to God. Well, that king could be referring to King Hezekiah, who will do exactly that, as you know, in doing this week's reading, as he uh, has great reforms in uh, the time of Isaiah. And he destroys these high places where idol worship had been. He calls on the people to observe the Passover. We're reading all about that this week. And that will be a part of our lesson on Thursday as we lead up to that time when the northern kingdom of Israel is taken off into captivity. Those verses, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, uh, they're not quoted in the New Testament. Uh, but at the same time, I can't help but believe that the ultimate fulfillment of those two verses especially is found only in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. It's found only in the person of the one who would come and who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It wasn't unusual at all for the Israelites to refer to their king in some of those terms, to refer to their king as the Anointed One, which is the translation of the term Messiah or Christ. But we know in a very special way those terms apply to one person and one person only. And that person is Jesus Christ, the Lord. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What an incredible, incredible statement from Isaiah, sometimes called the fifth gospel, and rightly so, seeing ahead hundreds of years uh, to the time when that ultimate uh, king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, would be born. I hope that you have a good rest of the week, and I will see you on Thursday afternoon.